Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 18 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders and using information technology to improve healthcare and healthcare services. With me on today's show are Ms. Ryan Argentieri, Deputy Director, Office of Information Technology at the Office of the National Coordinator. Mr. Carl Mathias, Chief Information Officer, Health and Human Services. Dr. Neil Evans, Acting Program Executive Director, Electronic Health Record Modernization, Department of Veterans Affairs. Gary Lynch, Global Practice Lead, Healthcare and Life Sciences, Verizon. Frank Johnson, Vice President, Federal at Lookout. And Ben Cushing, Chief Architect, Health and Life Sciences at Red Hat. Well, we're going to start off with you, Ryan, and uh, talk about uh, what is happening at the Office of the National Coordinator. A lot of activity going on there, huge responsibility in the healthcare community. Give us a state of the state. Thanks so much, Luke. Um, we have had a very busy year at ONC. It has um, been very transformative and exciting for those who have followed along with the transformation of health information technology over the past 10 years or so. Um, our new national coordinator, Mickey Tripathi, has been in the space for a long time. So it's been really exciting to see how the foundation that's been built by some of our partners here and, and many of those listening over the past decade to lay the, the infrastructure for health information technology and data exchange. We're now building on top of that pretty aggressively, um, whether it be partners partnerships with our ex existing federal agency, uh, team, so CDC, CMS, FDA. I can I can talk about those examples later, but we have expanded our United States core data for interoperability and our um, partner program, which is called USCDI Plus, to do a better job of reinforcing data quality um, at that foundation. We've launched and and um, really exciting, I think, for a lot of people at the department the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, otherwise known as TEFCA, which addresses networks and, and um, the how the, the data fabric across the country is really going to innovate and the public-private partnerships that were established uh, in part during the, the high-tech era and, and seeing how we can really continue to leverage and innovate off of what the private sector is doing and increasingly what people like um, but Carl are doing elsewhere in HHS to make sure that we are really taking advantage of, of technology and innovation for you know, the American public and improving patient care. And then the last thing I'll mention is our um, one of our new proposed rules, which is HTI-1 for short. And this, what's most exciting about this, in addition to just continuing to refine and enhance what the capabilities of certified health IT products should and can be doing both for patients, providers, and others in the healthcare ecosystem. It has um, done a lot to address uh, artificial intelligence and the use of decision support intervention tools in a transparent, safe, and fair manner. So those are probably the top three accomplishments. We've done a lot more, but I'll, I'll stop there. 
Thanks. And that's a lot and such a tectonic yeah. shift in the use of technology and such a, a key role the National Coordinator Office plays in that. So thank you very much for everything you're doing. Of course, ONC, part of HHS, along with FDA and NIH and Indian Health and CDC and a whole bunch of activity that goes on. Carl, you've been over there at HHS now for, I think, about a year and a half almost, a year and change. Tell us what, uh, what, what, what what's cooking over there in regards to um, uh, your top line activities. Um, yeah, it's been uh, interesting. Yeah, coming up on a year and a half. Uh, mm -hmm. And and I think, uh, I don't know that I, I said it last year when I was on the panel here with, with you and Tom Treza and everybody, but, uh, uh, you know, I brought on, I came on talking about data and I'm going to tell you nothing has changed in that respect uh, since I've got here. Uh, you're going to hear me talk a lot about it's about the data. Sure. Uh, so, so let me uh, give you a few things that that have been going on there uh, that are exciting in that area that are going to make us deliver better healthcare. Uh, for one example, uh, we've developed a framework for expediting data sharing between health and the Department of Health and Human Services and the VA. Uh, in May of 2023, we assigned an agreement with the v Department of Veteran Affairs so that we can share data with them, you know, basic uh, terms and conditions. We set this up so that we could protect that data. Uh, we could use uh, data that's non-public. This has been normally a very complicated extended process for when we want to share information. Well, we've created this framework now where we can expedite that to make sure that we can share, uh, you know, public health data, patient care data, health care quality inf uh, information, uh, assistance, surveillance analysis, prediction, response to existing emerging health concerns, things like that, in a more agile way. Uh, so right now we have using this framework, the CDC is working with Veterans Affairs on that, but we're looking to add other organizations to it over time so that we can continue that expedited ability to share data. You know, we only need to look back a couple of years to the COVID uh, crisis to understand why that agility is needed. So uh, that's the good news. We're really moving forward on our ability within the government to share data and that's happened within the last few months. Uh, there's also another ability, uh, capability we put out in terms of data is, uh, and this is not a new one, it's been there for a while, but it's not well known. But if you go to healthdata.gov, that's the official site for HHS uh, to share open data uh, with the community. And so we share internally amongst ourselves, our operating divisions like CDC, FDA, uh, National Institutes of Health, uh, but also these are available to the public. And so the reason we make these available are for those hospitals that may need them, uh, you know, researchers who may want them at universities or at other facilities. So sitting out there are 12,000 data sets. So it's a well-utilized platform. They've had over 12.5 million visits since the beginning of this year. Uh, so it's another asset out there that's available to the public that we keep updated. Uh, Related to that, we've also launched an internal capability called HHS Connect, and this is so that internally within HHS, which is a very large department, uh, mm -hmm. that we can share data amongst ourselves. So our internal employees can request information, and, and we publish information to it, and we share that information internally because it's such a large amount. 
that uh, that's going to be our go-to catalog for where you can go and say, okay, where is this data located? And it'll literally, thus the name HHS Connect, it connects you to that data source so that you can request it and then use it. So that'll help us amongst ourselves within HHS to be more efficient at using our data. It's, and it's I, certain. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's certainly all about the data, right? There, there's no question that that's a, a, a big role. You all have a lot of data there at uh, at HHS, and we really applaud you uh, exposing that and making that available to uh, to the community and uh, and cataloging it so people can find it when they're seeking it as well. Uh, yeah. Let me um, uh, ask Dr. Evans to uh, to weigh in here. Dr. Evans, you uh, recently uh, now in this uh, this new elevated role, uh, acting as the program executive director, and we really appreciate that. And um, had a lot of key assignments over there at VA. A lot of things going on over there. Give us a state of the state about what's happening with the electronic record modernization effort. Sure. I, um, as you mentioned, there is an awful lot going on at VA, and I guess one of the things that excites me. Um, is when we're talking about health information technology and government, what's happening in VA is actually broader across the government. I think you've heard this um, in, in the comments here. We've already talked about data sharing. Um, uh, Ryan talked about data sharing with the community, Carl with uh, data sh sharing in, in between agencies, HHS and VA. Um, when we talk about the electronic health record modernization project in VA, it's not just actually a VA project, it's about implementing a federal electronic health record, which is now um, live across and being used by four separate cabinet level agencies, the Department of Veterans Affairs, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Commerce, and Department of Defense, all using the same common record. The Department of Defense has nearly completed their implementation. The Coast Guard has fully implemented the record as has um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Department of Commerce. And VA is in the process still of, of implementing the record, um, building a common record of, you know, for members of the military all the way through their veterans service, uh, really an exciting project. Uh, but that's you know, just one piece of what we're doing with regard to health information technology in VA. I'll give you another just quick example. This year, um, in just a couple months ago, May of 2023, was the 20th anniversary of VA telehealth services in VA. Um, and in just to give you an example of the level of engagement that we're seeing still with telehealth as we've grown over 20 years, 2.3 million veterans took part in over 11 million episodes of care last year. Um, the uh, that's uh, uh, with high levels of satisfaction and engagement. And this is even as we've moved to this point, um, you know, early in the pandemic, we had incredibly high levels of engagement, but we're still doing 180,000 video visits per week across the enterprise, um, indicating a real sustained demand for technology enabled care, even here on the backside of the COVID-19 pandemic. So a lot of exciting work, many other areas I can highlight, but I'm sure we'll have time as we move forward. And I applaud you for all the work that you all are doing with the outreach with the veterans. Yeah, I, I think I read a uh, uh, an article where they surveyed the, the veterans and said, would you rather come back in and uh, 
now that you can, et cetera, post-pandemic. And they said, absolutely not. We love the telemedicine. So speaking of telemedicine, we can't do that without connectivity. Verizon, uh, certainly that's uh, that's the role you all play along with many other aspects here. Gary, give us a, a top line of what you all are doing in the healthcare and life sciences at Verizon. Yeah, thanks, Luke. You know, I'm, as I'm looking across the, our virtual room here, I'm thinking about the phrase, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I feel like I'm in the right room today. So uh, thanks for, for letting us for, for letting us be a part of this. You know, um, wow, that's that's a uh, geez, where do I go with that? I mean, we're we're doing so much across the, the healthcare and life science. We're we're in a position where we can enable a lot of amazing things that are happening. You know, um, the VA is an exciting customer. They were one of the the early adopters, if you will, of 5G. Um, we've been doing a lot of work with them around, you know, augmented reality in the surgical rooms. I mean, imagine a physician being able to put on a pair of HoloLens glasses, and then we overlay all this three-dimensional high-fidelity images, you know, on the patient so that the surgeon can see where the tumor is, guide his or her incision, to be able to use AI-enabled gloves to pull out a digital twin of the spine, rotate it. And you think about from like a medical education perspective, to be able to pull a heart out, expand it, walk inside it and look around. It's really some amazing things and uh, very fortunate um, that we can, if you look across like all our innovation labs, which we have innovation labs across the, across the globe, right? And so my team, we're really focused on innovation at Verizon when it comes to healthcare and life science. So we're, we're fortunate that we get to work with our customers, our partner ecosystem, and, and lay down this infrastructure in all these labs and then bring all the constituents within healthcare together you know, the medical device, the retail RX, payers, providers, and on down the list. And, and we talk about problems and we figure out how we can work together to solve these problems. So a lot of really amazing things when you think about um, the connected hospital of the future, right? It's kind of evolved into more of this connected ecosystem. And we just made a big announcement um, with the Cleveland Clinic, so I can officially say their name. But this is going to be, we're partnered with them. This is going to be the first hospital built in the country from the ground up with a 5G private wireless network. And that's super exciting for lots of reasons when you think about everything from, from security to you know enable um, all these amazing things, like I mentioned AR, VR in the surgical room. But um, just with the, the, I think it was Carl that was talking about data, right? We have massive amounts of data in healthcare. And you think about like precision medicine. I mean, how do you get, how do you query all this encrypted, you know, data, right? Um, and it was maybe 12 years ago or so, the light bulb kind of went off and for me and I started thinking about, okay, the telecoms of the world are gonna play a big part of the future of healthcare because when you start looking at massive amounts of data, well, that's gonna suck up a bandwidth in a hospital, right? Um, when you're talking about AR, VR in the surgical room, you, you need to have very low latency, right? You can't have a delay when you're cutting into a patient. So I, I guess the light bulb kind of went off when I was thinking about precision medicine to, to make sense of that data to put AI models on top of that, to be able to query that, to get, to change that data to actionable insights. You know, you need the right infrastructure. So that's a lot of the focus that we have here at, at Verizon. Fantastic. A lot of this advanced technology allowing some of these advanced capabilities to happen. And uh, that's fascinating. We really appreciate it. Very exciting as well. Frank Johnson at Lookout. Tell us sort of where does Lookout fit into the healthcare space, how do they unlock these capabilities? Thank you very much for having me today, Luke. And by the way, Gary stole my line about being the smartest guy in the room. It's a privilege and an honor to be here. 
uh, recently attended a uh, government security conference, well attended by a number of executives from information technology from representing the federal health uh, segment. And as a lot of concern around, you know, the world's most popular information access device, you know, carried by everybody in and out of uh, private networks, public networks, pulling down personal health information, you know, and, and we're incredibly focused on doing what we can to protect, protect that device across an ever-expanding attack surface uh, in the healthcare industry. Now, we recently published a global mobile phishing report. Now, why phishing? You know, the information technology suppliers have done a good job about locking down hardware and backdoors and making it harder for cyber criminals to brute force their way in. So they've turned their attention to phishing. Uh, and with readily available tools, artificial intelligence tools like uh, yeah. GPT and other large language modeling capabilities, uh, it's very easy for a non-English speaking person to be able to mimic your voice and target an individual saying, oh, your child's been in a horrific accident or using the voice of the child or person themselves. Please click this link, supply money, give us your credentials. And uh, in the this mobile global mobile phishing report that we recently published, highly regulated industries are most often in targeted. Number one's insurance, uh, which includes health insurance. Mm -hmm. And the top five is healthcare. So it's a it's a a, a ever expanding, rapidly accelerating uh, uh, area of attack, and, and we're incredibly focused on protecting that in healthcare, among other things. A uh, very key aspect uh, as we start to unlock this capability, make it available to the public, a lot of data being transmitted back and forth, need to button it down, make sure it's all secure, et cetera, with all these various types of technology that Lookout certainly provides. We really do appreciate that. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. U.S. federal agencies need access to mission-critical data from anywhere while staying ahead of today's most advanced nation-state cyber threats. Lookout is the only FedRAMP-authorized zero-trust cybersecurity platform that protects sensitive data on any device and in any location. Government agencies, healthcare, and other organizations in highly regulated industries trust Lookout to detect threats, minimize data risk, and maintain compliance. Learn more about how to safeguard government data from endpoint to cloud. Visit lookout.com federal. Kubernetes is the standard for orchestrating containers and complex applications, whether on-premise or across a variety of cloud providers. Red Hat is the number one provider of enterprise Kubernetes in the world. Government agencies have been using OpenShift Container Platform to modernize applications and develop cloud-native applications designed to scale and run in multiple clouds. Learn how open-source technologies can help to bridge your cloud footprints to move your mission forward. Visit redhat.com slash civilian dash agencies. How can your agency accelerate its network modernization and establish the right foundation for digital transformation? Verizon's Network as a Service. Verizon's Network as a Service provides you a comprehensive, subscription-based, and end-to-end -end network ecosystem that includes cloud-based interconnection services, hybrid connectivity, network visibility, security, and more. Modernize your network with Verizon's Network as a Service. To learn more, go to verizon.com slash public sector. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about healthcare services. 
We're going to go to you, Ben, and talk about healthcare and life sciences at Red Hat and how do you fit into this role? And just give us a top line state as to what Red Hat is doing to enable these agencies to perform their missions. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, so Red Hat's the world's largest open source software company. Uh, and because of that, we are in just about every single healthcare system you could imagine at some level. Uh, if you deconstruct the systems and uh, pull apart the software, you will find Red Hat's bits and bytes in there somewhere. Just sort of the nature of the open source community. Um, our role in that community, of course, is to continue to foster that software and, and uh, make sure the open source community is vibrant and uh, continually growing and has a real business value on top of its actual inherent value. Um, and what does that mean for actual health and life sciences? So uh, I'll start with the security aspect. We kind of talked about this already a little bit, but um, you know, Red Hat's fully engaged in this zero trust future. Uh, we've been following zero trust principles in our software for, you know, uh, probably two decades. Um, but, uh, you know, the way you actually configure everything requires, uh, you know, adherence to pillars of the zero trust. And um, so we're doing our best to make everyone in the, the larger community aware of that, uh, to make sure that security is top of mind uh, and adhering to um, you know, executive orders around zero trust, which uh, frankly is uh, not just a value on its own as an executive order, but also it has true um, strength for a security posture for any organization. Um, and then outside of that, uh, we have really begun to create a world of ubiquity of platforms. So, um, you know, there's multiple cloud hosts. Uh, there's also on-prem, there's also edge computing. And what this represents is a whole series of different nodes all over the world uh, that, where you need to deliver uh, systems for the actual care that patients might receive. And uh, we've sort of unified all those systems uh, using Kubernetes, which is really the new uh, operating system of the cloud. And uh, what, this, what this really means for everyone here is when we have a machine learning model, okay, that we maybe develop at the VA, and there's an example of this, uh, or I was a participant in Mission Daybreak, where we were producing machine learning models for the prevention of veteran suicide. Um, those models, as they're developed uh, within one platform, can be served to any number of platforms across the world in any number of different systems. It's not bound to the system at, at VA. Um, and this is a incredible future where we're able to take machine learning models that might be, have been developed from the Mayo Clinic or developed from Intermountain Healthcare or the Cleveland Clinic and bring those to the VA and bring you know, those solutions from the VA out and share um, the code. I mean, ultimately a, a machine learning model is is code. And we wanna be able to deliver that just about anywhere so that everyone can benefit from it given, you know, the proper policy and IP is protected and so on. Um, that future is right now, it's happening today. And uh, it's a very exciting development um, and I, I'd also say that this, in parallel, the same thing is happening with the automation of healthcare. So uh, process models are being developed to represent clinical care pathways 
And those process models are being written standards that allow those models to be moved across multiple systems. So for instance, the Mayo Clinic might produce the best uh, clinical care pathway for chronic kidney disease. And they model that, and they model that in standards. And that model is, we can lift it up and actually bring it to the VA and it will work just as well and vice versa. That's happening right now, actually between Mayo Clinic and VA. Um, and what makes all this possible is this underlying infrastructure of open source platforms uh, and the adoption of standards, which allows us to interoperate not just the data itself, but the actionable uh, models themselves. Um, so it's a whole nother level of, when we talk about interoperability, it's a whole nother dimension that, that really gets lost in the, uh, in the shuffle around trying to get the data to be harmonized. Speaking of data, Carl, I'm going to jump back up to you. You talked about a framework. You talked about it is about the data. Uh, would you like to highlight a specific program that uh, you all are uh, working on at this point to uh, enable this capability you're describing? Sure, Luke. Um, you know, I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, Carl Mathias is the chief information officer. Is I am not a practitioner uh, in the medical community, nor am I a researcher. Mm -hmm. But as the CIO and my staff, uh, what we see it as our job to enable the practitioners and the researchers to do their mission. So the program I'd highlight as part of that is one I mentioned previously, which is healthdata.gov. Uh, that's the official open data platform that we use for disseminating our uh, open data sets that come from the CDC, FDA, uh, NIH, uh, and make that available to the public. Uh, as I mentioned before, right now we have 12,000 publicly available data sets on that platform. I mentioned we've had over 12 and a half million visits on that since uh, early January. Um, and if you look at the last fiscal year, we've actually seen the growth here in fiscal year 2022. There were a million downloads and over 13.3 million assets were accessed out of that. And I did a, a just a brief scan of it again this morning to say, you know, what if you want to know what kind of information is out there, here's just a very small sampling. I mean, you'll see COVID-19 data of all types, whether it's patient impact, hospital impact, monkeypox research data, kidney care and health equity data, Lyme, Lyme disease innovation data, cancer incidence information, um, uh, you know, autism research chronic disease indicators. Uh, so we at HHS, we're continuing to focus on data and make that data available both internally and externally. And healthdata.gov has been an excellent way to do that. Yeah. And we continue, we will continue to support that. And we really do appreciate that. It's a fascinating capability that you've made available to the, uh, the public at large. And uh, we certainly need to continue to think about securing that data. Frank, I'm going to go to you. And you certainly brought that to our attention. I know that's uh, that's in Lookout's wheelhouse. That's what you do. Would you like to give us a specific example? You're, you're sort of striped across a variety of agencies and in the private sector. Give us a specific example of where you're enabling this capability in a program. Well, Luke, I want to harken back to the conference I was at recently. It was well attended by a number of IT executives across the federal health arena. You know, and, and and their their largest worry is I'll call it the hyperconnectedness of everything. Um, you know, when you look at a trauma incident as an example, it you know, starts with a call to nine one one. 
those that are following 911 today is mostly voice, but it's with next-gen 911, we're quickly moving to text to 911. Mm -hmm. Rich data types are going to follow, you know, photographs and images and 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 videos. Mm -hmm. That dispatches responsibilities forward those to EMS, EMS then to the ER, you know, clinical setting to ambulatory to rehab to the home. Oh, and oh, by the way, the volume and velocity of that data continues to expand. And and by the way, as an IT executive, where exactly is the boundary condition? of what it is I'm responsible for protecting. I, who, who wants to be a cybersecurity CISO or CIO in the healthcare industry today? It is an absolutely enormous uh, responsibility and opportunity. The punchline that each one of these IT executives continue to make is there's no way we can possibly keep up with this hyper-connectedness of everything. Oh, by the way, I forgot about the researchers. You know, everybody having access to this data, hopefully safely and securely, biotech, pharma, and research continue to look for breakthroughs in, in healthcare. This cannot be achieved without a more aggressive move to cloud technologies. Just can't. Um, you know, and then what, what kind of issues do those uh, bring to bear and surface, right? It's not just about the handheld access and information, but now how do I properly protect these things in the cloud? You know, so the company's incredibly focused on, you know, uh, more secure cloud capabilities, Luke, and, uh, you know, it, healthcare is a huge, huge, huge part of, of what we do. So healthcare, a huge part of very sensitive information. Brian, I'm going to bring it up to you. Uh, you, uh, you know, top line some very, very significant national issues that you're working on and coordinating there. Uh, would you like to highlight one program uh, specifically where uh, these activities are uh, enabling the capabilities? Yeah, there's two really important ones, but I'll start with um, one with HRSA. So many of you are familiar or may have heard about the uh, UDS uh, reporting program. So if you haven't, um, this is the, the, the process by which the Health Resources Services Administration or HRSA has manually captured information from federally qualified health centers across the country to determine how much funding is uh, provided and to really make sure that the you know percentage of our population that doesn't always get the best technology or doesn't always get the best access to care that they make sure that they have the resources made available. During uh, the pandemic, we really have seen across HHS just an, an increase in um, or what I've been calling a convergence between health IT and you know traditional IT and information technology and the you know assessment of requirements that to use and leverage standards like Ben was talking about, which is what ONC is responsible for. So how can we take advantage of fast uh, healthcare interoperability resources, otherwise known as FIRE, to move information out of the manual reporting process? and um, you know, really take advantage of all the innovation in, in IT itself to you know, help make our federal government more nimble. So in partnership with a number of parties inside HRSA, uh, including the CIO, Adrian Burton and Jim McRae from the Bureau of Primary Care um, to you know, incredible leaders and champions who've been a part of the government for a long time, we have really been, we've transformed what that reporting process will look like for the entire for the entire country and that's going to represent a significant reduction in burden for providers and all of 
um, you know, the different intermediaries and, and other companies that are supporting those health centers who often, you know, don't have, and we learned this during the pandemic, they don't have the resources and they don't have, you know, the technical um, people at the ready, like some of some of our other colleagues do to just come in and, and jump in and fix something. They're, you know, constantly just trying to do the best they can with what they have. So we're really excited um, and proud of that program. And then we, um, the moving forward uh, initiative at, at CDC that many of you know about. Um, there's just a team of incredible leaders over at CDC from the CIO um, to a number of others in the organization who are also championing championing that you know combination of what can we do with standards that help support state and local jurisdictions and transform how we, in a secure way, how we have a surveillance system in place in this country um, that takes advantage of some of the things that have been done at the VA and DOD and makes them applicable for, for us at HHS. I love the uh, sort of this transfer of technology capability across these various communities and really appreciate the coordination that is happening out of your office. Gary, you top-lined a lot of different activities that Verizon is doing to unlock these capabilities. Give us a specific example that you'd like to highlight where this technology is being used to enable these missions? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the areas that I get really excited about in pretty much every conversation I have with anyone with, with a major um, health system, we talk a lot about health equity and digital inclusion. And, and certainly Verizon, you know, we've done a lot around digital inclusion, you know, initially starting out in the education area, and then we've kind of moved that into the healthcare space. So, you know, when you think about folks who are making under, you know, 30,000 a year, 42% don't have broadband coverage, um, 25% of those don't have a cell phone, right? And so those individuals were certainly highlighted during COVID. And so we're really focused around improving access, you know, putting, um, and, I, and I think about, you know, the VA and I, I, I grew up, you know, in, in Naval hospitals, right? You know, both of my parents, they ended their lives in VA hospitals. So spent a lot of time within the system. Um, and and I, I think a lot about, um, you know, health equity and, and, and if you're familiar with the affordable connectivity program, we have a program around health equity that kind of sits on top of that. So with the government that's offering assistance around broadband coverage, we can actually get those individuals devices in their hands to help manage their health care. Um, so really what we're doing is we're focused on just, just providing more in-home services, right? Through our mobile, our mobility and our mobile solutions. And I always say, you know, I want to make healthcare proactive and, and what we're doing with devices, purpose-built devices, we can load chatbots on those to interact with patients. Hey, how are you feeling today? Did you take your medicine this morning? You have a doctor's appointment at four o'clock. Can I call you an Uber? And then imagine that patient taking that purpose-built device with them to the hospital. There's geofencing from, the, from the, the medical center that recognizes the patient, welcomes them, tells them where to park or where to get dropped off, wayfinds them to their appointment, um, infotainment should the, the should the um, physician be be late or or whatever start interacting filling out forms so to to make healthcare more proactive those are some of the projects I get really excited about um, around health equity and digital inclusion very important and very fascinating we really do appreciate it Dr Evans I'm gonna throw it up to you you talked about some of these capabilities that. Uh, folks like Verizon perhaps are unlocking can you give us a specific uh, uh, example of a program you'd like to highlight? Um, sure, I think I, I can maybe follow on a little bit with one of the uh, 
examples that Gary just provided. Mm -hmm. uh, we, it's really important for us that we are able to connect. I mean, our mission in VA is to fulfill President Lincoln's promise to care for those who served in our nation's military and for their families, caregivers, and survivors. And that mission applies regardless of where those people are in this country. And what we just talked about is the fact that broadband internet is not universally available. Um, equity of access is absolutely critical for us. And you know that it makes me think uh, a little bit about our, we, what we call our digital divide efforts, um, uh, which leverage, Gary just mentioned the affordability, the affordable connectivity program, the ACP program. Um, we leverage that program I actually am super proud of the fact that in the VA, um, at every facility, any clinician can enter in the electronic health record, something we call a digital divide consult. Um, I can ask for a consultation from cardiology, from rheumatology, from surgery, or I can also ask for help from the digital divide team. And my veteran is met by a social worker who can get them connected with programs like um, the FCC's Lifeline program, the Affordable Connectivity program, um, or even get them connected um, to a device that, um, that um, we're able to provide to them to allow them to connect at home if they don't have access to, the, to the, either the device or sufficient uh, internet at home in order to connect back to us, for example, through telehealth. So just last fiscal year, uh, VA completed over 41,000 digital divide consults across the mm -hmm. enterprise. Um, and more than 110,000 veterans received a loan tablet from us with uh, internet connectivity to allow them to connect to us for care. And as Gary mentioned, to have that proactive healthcare experience in their home um, in a way that would not have been possible um, without that focused uh, attention on the importance of making sure we're delivering these services equitably to all that we're called to serve. What a, what a fascinating use case, and uh, I really do uh, uh, applaud you for, uh, for all that you're doing to, uh, to make that uh, care available to, uh, to every deserving veteran out there fulfilling President Lincoln's promise. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. How can your agency accelerate its network modernization and establish the right foundation for digital transformation? Verizon's Network as a Service. Verizon's Network as a Service provides you a comprehensive, subscription-based, and end-to-end -end network ecosystem that includes cloud-based interconnection services, hybrid connectivity, network visibility, security, and more. Modernize your network with Verizon's Network as a Service. To learn more, go to verizon.com slash public sector. U.S. federal agencies need access to mission-critical data from anywhere while staying ahead of today's most advanced nation-state cyber threats. Lookout is the only FedRAMP-authorized zero-trust cybersecurity platform that protects sensitive data on any device and in any location. Government agencies, healthcare, and other organizations in highly regulated industries trust Lookout to detect threats, minimize data risk, and maintain compliance. Learn more about how to safeguard government data from endpoint to cloud. Visit lookout.com federal. 
Kubernetes is the standard for orchestrating containers and complex applications, whether on-premise or across a variety of cloud providers. Red Hat is the number one provider of enterprise Kubernetes in the world. Government agencies have been using OpenShift Container Platform to modernize applications and develop cloud-native applications designed to scale and run in multiple clouds. Learn how open-source technologies can help to bridge your cloud footprints to move your mission forward. Visit redhat.com civilian agencies. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about healthcare services. We were just talking about specific programs. Ben, I'm going to ask you to uh, highlight a specific program that Red Hat's been working on to enable this capability. Yeah, I'm really uh, excited and honored to um, talk about Mission Daybreak. We we were a part of that initiative last year. It was a $20 million grand challenge to reduce veteran suicide. And mm. um, uh, Red Hat and our, our team guidehouse uh, that we were in, uh, we, we placed in the top three. Uh, for that, it was like 1,400 companies participated in the competition. Um, it was an incredible effort amongst the community to really bring innovative ideas forward. Um, and what's really interesting is at least for our solution, we highlighted um, a lot of the things that have come up on this call. So for instance, a big part of our, our approach focused around health equity and the use of social determinants of health in the actual care of the veterans, in addition to delivering risk profiles uh, to the point of care. And um, that social determinants of health bit, I think is probably the most important impactful because it impacts the entire veteran population, even those who are not getting care at the VA. Uh, and the, the way that works is um, because of the way we're tracking and capturing the data, we actually have a way to measure the quality of the programs that are within the communities that the veterans live in. And we can actually uh, uh, provide feedback on uh, whether those programs are working or not, you know, and that can really help guide VA's investment and divestment in those community programs, which of course affect all the veterans, regardless of, of where they might be getting their care. Um, we use that rich social determinants of health data to also produce the risk profile, uh, along with the electronic health record and social media data to provide an actual risk score for the, for the patient, for suicide ideation specifically. Um, and then actually provide guidance back to the clinician on what they can do in the next steps. It's one thing just to tell the clinician this patient's at risk for suicide. It's another thing entirely to say, and here are the steps you can take right now to make a difference. Here's their PAC team. Um, here's the care coordinator you want to speak to. Uh, and then actually in behind that, <laughs> we're actually creating the process flows those workflows themselves are being modeled uh, so that we have a closed loop system of escalation for that patient. Uh, and, and that approach transcends everything, right? Like we can do that for telehealth. We can do that for the point of care. Um, it can happen in a digital twin, Gary. Uh, you know, like there's just a lot of different ways to approach that. Um, and the modalities are sort of endless. Uh, just And we can meet the patient wherever they might be. So. Um, the actual monitoring systems itself can go all the way into home care. So I'm just really excited uh, by that. 
Yes, fascinating uh, use case and uh, excellent use of the technology and a very important topic here. We're going to roll it up to priorities. Ryan, I'm going to start with you. Number one priority. No, it's tough. You have a lot of things going on in your office. Give us your number one priority for this year. Oh, my gosh. You didn't tell me you were going to ask me that question. That's so hard. Um, I would say the number one priority, because it extends to all the other priorities, is um, health IT alignment across HHS, because that really makes sure that we are all rowing in the same direction and leveraging all the great work happening by the, the smartest people in the respective rooms across uh, the department. So um, that is something that you can read about on our website, but it just basically ensures that all the standards are being adopted and harmonized consistently in all the programs that are federally funded across the government. Critical, critical aspect, and uh, we appreciate the focus there. Carl, a lot of activity going on over there at the CIO's office. What is your number one priority for this year? Uh, given my other comments, you might think I'm going to say data, but that's not it. Uh, the uh, number one priority for us is clear cut. We're the sector risk management agency for the nation's healthcare critical infrastructure. And myself and my colleagues at HHS work on the cybersecurity of that healthcare infrastructure. So if I could do a quick plug. For those of you who are healthcare practitioners or hospitals, go to 405d.hhs.gov. That's 405delta.hhs.gov. That will describe an industry government partnership where we will assist you with best practices for cybersecurity across the healthcare infrastructure. In the last fiscal year, uh, rans the healthcare industry was the number one target for ransomware attacks. Uh, we are looking for ways to help prevent those attacks, mitigate them when they happen, and provide assistance to the healthcare industry. Very, very important aspect, and we really do appreciate you highlighting that. Dr. Evans, number one priority for you as the Acting Program Executive Director of the Electronic Health Record of Modernization. Yeah, I think uh, um, absolutely. Uh, our... Um, I would say there's a lot going on and it's always hard as you point out to, to name a number one priority. I'll say our number one clinical priority is always suicide prevention. And it's in, uh, appreciated Ben's comments around the mission daybreak work, um, a lot of work happening there. But with regard to electronic health record modernization, I think our number one priority really is our, we're moving forward to do a deployment at the James A. Level Federal Healthcare Center in North Chicago. This is a fully joint VA and DOD facility. We're look, looking forward to deploy the modern electronic health record, the federal electronic health record um, at that facility in March of 2024. And it's really an example of a place where a common federal record makes an incredible amount of sense at a, at a site that is both a Navy base that processes more than 40,000 Naval recruits per year as they enter the Navy, as well as a VA hospital providing a full set of services to both veterans and um, beneficiaries of the, of the Department of Defense's healthcare system. Um, really exciting project uh, and top priority as we move forward over the course of this year. Appreciate that. And we look forward to uh, to, to seeing that evolve in, uh, in 2024. Well, we're going to have to uh, to wrap it up and uh, uh, with the show here. I always like to end with this last question. I'm going to start with you, Ben. 
And what we want to talk about is let's fast forward a couple of years. What's it going to look like for Red Hat? What, what's the demand signal that you all are seeing that you'll be focusing on two to three years from now for this very important community? Uh, I would say auto automation just everywhere. So um, automation in practice, uh, the use of AI for automation, I, you know, just to what Carl talked about with uh, 4 or 5D, the um, automation of security controls. That's something I'm actually working on right now, creating playbooks to automate the, the compliance for health IT systems where you just run an automated script and it goes through and, and does all the controls for you. Um, I, I think that, that that is really the future. It's happening in every industry and healthcare is not being spared. Fully automated type of capability. We look forward to that. Frank, as these uh, bad actors get much more sophisticated and these environments get more, much more sophisticated, what can we expect two to three years from now? Well, the, the U.S. Uh, federal government's number one cybersecurity initiative is uh, zero trust and implementing zero trust. So hopefully a few years from now, we're well down that path, leveraging things like Carl pointed out, around 405D, you know, and zero trust is the, the most important synonym there is continuous, constant, continuously authenticate users once they're granted access, continuously monitor critical systems. And let's make sure that we're absolutely locking down probably the most uh, popular authentication device, the handheld uh, growing amount of PPI, PHI authentication device needs to have the same cybersecurity rigor you know, that other more pieces of your critical infrastructure do. And then we're really on that path, uh, Luke, locking down handheld to cloud, especially as the volume and velocity and the attack service and, and, the, and the criminal element continues to expand to get much more, more complicated and sophisticated. Really look forward to that. And we really do appreciate all that you're doing. Gary, you talked about 5G. We've talked about uh, geofencing, et cetera. Two to three years from now, is that just going to be, you know, completely ubiquitous out there? Are we going to be talking about 6G at that point? What can we expect <laughs> two to three years from now? Yeah, right. Um, well, you know, every year there's a new buzzword in healthcare, right? You know, we've kind of shifted from this connected hospital to future to more of this connected ecosystem. And so that's really what we're focused on. We're looking at this as an ecosystem, right? We're working, um, if you're familiar with all the, the millimeter wave, the spectrum bands that we had purchased from the government. We're focused on, you know, expanding um, 5G, you know, into more rural settings, mm -hmm. you know, so that we can do things like, um, you know, my parents who ended their lives, you know, after months stays in a hospital could, could end their lives in the home. So mm -hmm. just better connectivity at home, more devices, you know, we're, we're do using computer vision to evaluate patients, right? Look at changes in respiratory patterns. Hey, this, this patient might be an arrhythmia or even to identify patients who might have COVID just the way that they're. Their, their breathing or the fall detection, you know, to, to alert clinicians. So um, I, I think what I'm most excited about is just more ability for care at the home. Um, and, and then access, you know, and, and, and certainly growing up in naval hospitals, um, I know about the challenge of access, right, within, uh, within those institutions. And so we're doing a lot around like kiosk. And imagine a kiosk that's more than just a blood pressure cup, but actually has telehealth ability built into it. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Evans talked about the affordable connectivity program, as did I. 
um, imagine this kiosk where you could fill out, you know, applications for Medicaid, you know, for a hospital's charity program, what, what, whatever, what have you, medication lockers. So, um, and putting these in grocery stores, you know, putting these in areas where people frequent. So um, that, that's going to be exciting to help improve access to our healthcare system. And we certainly look forward to that and appreciate everything that you're doing. Dr. Evans, a lot of activity going on over there at the VA. Let's fast forward two to three years. What are we going to see two to three years from now? What's the focus? I think, um, you know, look, as we, this is a panel about health information technology, and we are going to see continual improvements in health information technology over two to three years. And I think it's important that we're focused on what the purposes of those improvements are, right? They're about empowering clinicians and veterans. This is from the perspective of VA, allowing uh, both the clinician and the, and the and veterans to be engaged in the tasks um, that they need to and connecting them. In, in many ways, as health IT gets better and better, it gets more and more out of the way of what is at the heart of healthcare, which is a relationship um, between a healthcare provider um, and a healthcare system and the patients that they're serving. So I'm, I'm excited about seeing, for example, how as we introduce, for example, AI type technologies into clinical workflows, how does this improve and lessen provider burnout um, across the um, uh, healthcare ecosystem? How does it allow veterans or patients in general to feel more connected and to, to be able to get connected to the right services that they need faster? I think we're gonna see a lot of growth over the next uh, three to five years. Um, and it's gonna be the real challenge here is to take the new technologies and figure out how to best implement them in the context of our healthcare systems. And turn it into uh, sort of a the, the ultimate easy button, if you will. And we really do appreciate you uh, enabling those capabilities to the, uh, to the veterans and uh, across the various communities. So thank you very much for that. Carl, you talked about a lot of different activities going on over there at the, uh, the HHS offices. Two to three years from now, what would you expect to see? What are you aiming for uh, to ensure happens there? I think what will drive us is that the volume of data will be so large that uh, we're going to have to develop uh, AI techniques so that they can parse and use that information. And what I'm looking at is call it the trusted advisor, uh, not the decision maker, but the trusted advisor to the practitioner provider for diagnosing patients, for spotting trends, for things like you know, an HHS agency like the CDC or the FDA, uh, assisting the senior decision makers within the department with understanding where we should allocate resources. The, the journey there, though, we have to be careful because if we're going to use AI for those types of purposes, it must be trustworthy. It must be accurate. There's no room for, you know, the term is hallucinations that the current tech AI systems can sometimes do. There's, there's no room for that in healthcare. It has to be accurate and it has to account for diversity. It can't skew results because of biased data or algorithms. But I do think we're going to see a lot of promise there. This is how we're going to use all this data I've been talking about. Through the use of these advanced technologies, and we certainly do appreciate that and look forward to that as well. Ryan, uh, you talked about a lot of very 
significant and comprehensive national issues there. Uh, if you were to fast forward two to three years from now, what are you expecting to see? So I'm expecting to see, in addition to, I would just agree to everything my other fellow panelists have stated, but I I expect to see, and I will do whatever I can as long as I'm in government to make this happen, um, that we work more as a united team across the country, no matter whether we are inside government or in the private sector, to um, make sure that we are addressing whether it's a cybersecurity issue, a diversity and equity issue, or just a delivery of care issue, that we do more to leverage our uh, findings and shared resources and um, intellectual property, if you will, as a collective kind of team to continue to innovate and to continue to deliver the best solutions possible. Because I think what people miss a lot is that if we don't have that strong foundation in place, we will continue to have national security threats and, and problems that don't need to uh, don't need to be the top um, concern and priority. We can do better um, for ourselves and for our country, um, no matter you know who we're trying to serve. So that would be that's my hope um, and uh, expectation. Thanks. And I'm confident that you'll achieve that, and I'm confident that all of you will achieve everything you've described here fascinating and we really do appreciate it. So I want to thank you all for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us on this program and uh, impart this information out uh, that is so very important. I'd like to thank our sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make this program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. U.S. federal agencies need access to mission-critical data from anywhere while staying ahead of today's most advanced nation-state cyber threats. Lookout is the only FedRAMP-authorized zero-trust cybersecurity platform that protects sensitive data on any device and in any location. Government agencies, healthcare, and other organizations in highly regulated industries trust Lookout to detect threats, minimize data risk, and maintain compliance. Learn more about how to safeguard government data from endpoint to cloud. Visit lookout.com federal. Kubernetes is the standard for orchestrating containers and complex applications, whether on-premise or across a variety of cloud providers. Red Hat is the number one provider of enterprise Kubernetes in the world. Government agencies have been using OpenShift Container Platform to modernize applications and develop cloud-native applications designed to scale and run in multiple clouds. Learn how open-source technologies can help to bridge your cloud footprints to move your mission forward. Visit redhat.com slash civilian dash agencies. How can your agency accelerate its network modernization and establish the right foundation for digital transformation? Verizon's Network as a Service. Verizon's Network as a Service provides you a comprehensive subscription-based and end-to-end -end network ecosystem that includes cloud-based interconnection services, hybrid connectivity, network visibility, security, and more. Modernize your network with Verizon's Network as a Service. To learn more, go to verizon.com slash public sector.